0: You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. All right. uh, Such a blessing, as always, to be with you, to fellowship and to worship and to get into the Word of God. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. Um, Why don't you turn with me? to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, just a reminder, as always, there's tables in the back right as you walk in that uh, have Bibles for you to get, uh, and you can take it if you don't have a Bible or just share with someone next to you. But as always, um, our verse is up on the PowerPoint as well. But uh, Philippians 1, 12 through 19 is our text today, and we've been just taking our time going through the book of Philippians. If you've been with us, you know that we're going slow and we're just trying to soak in and get out of what uh, the the letters of the Philippians for us, to Reality Honolulu, to our own walks with Christ. Like God, what do you wanna say to us? And how does it apply? And Spirit anoint us to do those things. And so we've been doing that, looking through that every week. And today, um, like any other time, We're looking at Paul's letter to the Philippians and specifically how hardship advances the gospel, how our trials and our sufferings God wants to use uh, for the building of his kingdom and so how hardship advances the gospel. Why don't you read with me Philippians 1, 12 through 19, says this, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Yes, I will continue to rejoice for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of of Jesus Christ that uh, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. This is the word of the Lord, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for where you have us today. And God, we thank you that you are intimately acquainted with all of our ways, that you know what our lives are about and what hardships we have and what trials we have and how we're doing and how we're feeling. And... But God, you have purpose in it all, and you have a plan, and it's good, and it's better, and it's bigger than anything that can be thrown at us. And so, God, we pray that you would give us great faith and trust in you And Holy Spirit, would you just anoint our time, would you anoint my words, um, that they'd be yours, that I'd be your mouthpiece today, and would you speak to us? We want to become more like Jesus. That's our hope, that's our prayer, that's what we ask. So Spirit, move, speak to us. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you guys uh, read the Bible, went to Sunday school, know anything about it, or seen the play, uh, Joseph. Right, the story of Joseph in the Bible is like one of the craziest stories, right? It's just such a dynamic one. There's so much going on. His brothers throw him into slavery, give him up into Egypt, and God miraculously blesses him and gives him dreams that are interpreted, and all of a sudden he rises to power, and he goes through the famine, and there's all this stuff that happens. And finally, like years later, after his brothers have sold him into slavery— Right, he's reunited with his brothers, with his dad, um, with his dad, Jacob. His dad, Jacob, passes away, and his brothers finally realize who this guy, this powerful man in Egypt is. It's It's their brother, Joseph, that they sold into slavery. And in Genesis chapter 50, they are absolutely terrified, the brothers, of what Joseph is going to do to them right? Like, we, we, we pretty much left this guy for dead. We gave up our brother. He's here now. Our dad's dad passed away. It's just us and him, and he has all the power. What's he going to do to us? And what happens is, is this is Joseph's response to them in this interaction, Genesis 50, 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Aren't I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children and, be reassured, and reassure them, and, speak, and he spoke kindly to them. It's the craziest story because Joseph's response should not have been this. He had all the power to do anything to them. But there was something that Joseph understood. He saw that even in the midst of the worst situation, that God could turn it for good. Literally turn years of slavery into blessing. And so Genesis 50, 20 is this reminder that God can redeem and he makes the worst of situations out for his good. And here in Philippians, once again, the very same thing is happening. The Apostle Paul is recognizing the amazing power of God to turn the worst of circumstances into others' good and God's glory. And that's exactly what's happening. Paul is in chains, in prison, writing this. And if you listen to what we just read, that we just prayed over... You see that Paul's response, his, his assessment of his situation is incredible. See, Paul's current situation was not a good one. He has been arrested in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel. He has been taken all the way to Rome, and he's now in prison. He's arrested, he's in prison, and his outcome doesn't look good. It's not like, oh, we're just gonna lock you up for a little bit and you gotta, you know, you can get out on bail and it's nothing like that. Paul is imprisoned for preaching the gospel and the outcome looks really bleak. And if you're looking at this from either Paul's perspective an outside perspective, maybe Paul's buddies, maybe just the church at the time or even us today, looking at Paul's situation would look like kind of like a stop to everything that God was using him to do. All that God was doing, it just feels like it stopped. Like He's not preaching the gospel the same way he did. He's not going around and planting churches. He's not raising up leaders. He's not going into synagogues, he's in prison. He's locked up. What would seem like a seeming stop to what Paul was doing actually was propelling and advancing the gospel, and it was, the gospel was going forth more in prison than it ever would have outside. And that's what we're gonna look at today. I mean, because think about it. Think of what Paul has done. I mean, Paul was one of those guys, like he's one of those guys you look at it in Scripture and like, wow, God not only redeemed you and you're a story that I'm encouraged by because even the worst of the humans that think they're too far gone. Paul was worse than you, and God redeemed him and made him new and used him for his glory. And not only used him for his glory, but like, I mean, this is like the apostle Paul. Started churches, planted churches, raised up leaders, and just kept going. God had used him. There had been tremendous fruit. And at this point, in prison, the way that he could have felt is that all had been taken from him. And there wasn't any more hope. Just, oh, wow, I I guess that's it. I guess the way God used me is over and done with. But God had a different plan in mind. And the thing is, is like, this is what God does. God, if you didn't know, is not confined to our own circumstances. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Like the plight of our life, our trials, whether or not you're making rent or not, you've had tragedy, you have sickness, whatever it may be, you have your hardships in your life. God is not dictated by them. Like our circumstances don't tell God what to do. God tells what circumstances to do. That's how how it works. Life's happenings do not dictate or move God. And for many of us, we may be like Paul or be in a similar trial or hardship or a rough season where you may feel like you're lost. All is gone. All is over. I'm paralyzed. Wait, God was using me. Wait, my life was good. Everything was working. And then all of a sudden, here's where I'm at. And it's just like, I just feel like, what's happening? The thing we need to remember is that God is outside of time and space. He is infinitely more powerful and in control. He is pre-existent, He's never been created, and he'll never have an end. And God is not um, unaware to our suffering or our circumstances. The prophet Isaiah would prophesy in Isaiah 53, communicating what our Savior would have to go through. Isaiah 53, 5 said that Christ was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Christ has not only sympathized with our sufferings, but he's also suffered himself upon the cross. It's not like God is over here and we're down here and he doesn't know what we're going through, but God himself in Jesus Christ has gone through it. He has suffered much. And if you know anything about what the Bible tells us about the gospel, why it's good news, why Christians, why we're all talking about the gospel, why we're all about the gospel, is because it's the good news that God exchanges beauty from ashes, Like, he takes what is broken, and he fixes it. God not only knows best, but he's able to make things beautiful again. Like, this is the restorative nature of the gospel. Like, when we're first saved, you know what the Bible tells us? That the old man, the old person, our old nature has passed away, and the new has come. Like, literally, we're new creations, It's not just like figuratively, God does that work practically through the power of the spirit. Like he changes us and we're new and we can start over. It's called being born again. It's literally like we're born again. Start over and by God's grace, he continues to do it in our lives to restore us. Sin has messed almost everything up in this world. Everything bad has come from a result of sin and the distortion that it brings. And so all of us are messed up by sin. We're broken, we're hurting, we've been hurt. And so God, what he does best is he takes, when we're hopeless, he turns it to hope. When he, he can take situations that look completely bleak and he can miraculously turn the, turn the tide and make them good. Not only does he do this personally, not only does he do that in our personal lives, with our personal hurts, with our personal sanctification, but he does this with our circumstances. Like he does this with our trials and our hardships. You can think of God as like the ultimate fixer-upper. I don't know if you're into those shows, the Joanna Gaines type shows, pick the best, what, what the worst house on the best street, right? That, whatever, and fix it up and makes a lot of money. Or if you're into the car shows, this is huge, you know, like, hey, let's like find a car in a junkyard and then all of a sudden do all this amazing work and then it's this amazing car. God is absolutely the best, the biggest, the most perfect restorer of our lives and of our circumstances. He not only sees the potential, but he's able to get us there. He's able to turn our mourning into dancing, our beauty into ashes. For Paul, it was prison. Like, Paul is in prison. He's taken from Jerusalem to Rome. He's uprooted from everything. He's taken to a foreign land. And he could easily just have gone into despair. Like, he easily could just be, just like, I am done. My life is over And Paul's letter could have been completely different, but there was reason to why it's written the way it is. Instead of Paul just giving up and giving in and being bitter and and arguing and being sad and despairing, it actually shows here that Paul sees that there's purpose in his imprisonment and it's for the advancement of the good news of Jesus going forth. Because there were people, literally, there was a person. This is how house arrest worked. Paul, writing this letter, is actually in chains. Like, like, I don't know if he's right or left-handed. I don't know what hand he's chained. But he's in chains writing this letter. And he's attached to ta- part of the, the palace guard or the praetorian guard. This is like the secret service of the day that would protect Caesar. There was about 9,000 of them, the most elite soldiers in the most closed-off society. Well, Paul's with one of them. And the reason why Paul would say what he does, why his chains have actually advanced the gospel, is he's actually tied up, chained up with someone that's closed off to society. That this man and the rest of the palace guard would have no access to the gospel. Sorry, bird. Bird. By your head. Distraction. Sorry, that was like a squirrel moment. I get easily distracted. But what's happened right now is that 24 hours a day, Paul is chained up to one of the palace guard. And you obviously know there's like discussions happening. Hey, why are you here? Why'd you get in prison? What do you do? And Paul has a very captive audience. very captive audience. He's going nowhere. He's chained to him. But the reason why Paul could say that his hardship, literally his chains have been advancing the gospel, is that God has opened up a door where no one has had access to. And so Paul, instead of having his eyes on his own plight... Instead of focusing literally on his chains and on his environment, he's focusing on the opportunity for this man and these people to know about Jesus. And so instead of Paul saying, woe is me, my life is over, Paul says, wow, God has put me in chains for the advancement of the gospel. That's what's happening here. And that's why when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans... Right, He's in Rome. He writes a letter to the Romans. Romans 8, 18 and 28. This is why Paul could say this. This is what he's talking about. He's saying, I consider that our present, present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we know that in all good, excuse me, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, Paul's just not writing that because it sounds good. Paul's living it out going, God can redeem any situation and not only redeem it, but he can actually cause the growth of the gospel through our hardships. Do you see that? And so here's where we can drill down. We can, we can, th- this is, this is a biblical principle that our trials can serve as a witness like our hardships and our trials. I'm not talking about Paul now. I'm talking about whatever your hardship is. Whatever our hardships are. It doesn't have to be as crazy like I'm in prison. It's like, well, what's hard? What's difficult? What's going on with you? God is able to turn whatever that is for his good, for our good and his glory. The thing is, many times, we're the ones that get in the way, right? We're the ones that wreck the opportunity, honestly, we included. This is like really easy to do, is instead of looking to God, instead of seeing, oh, maybe God has like a plan in all this, all we can see is what is is the problem. All all we're concentrating on is is the hardship. Instead of seeing that God wants to use it for the furthering of his kingdom, all we can get to is how it affects us. Instead of going, okay, God, you're sovereign, you're in control, you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing, what do you wanna do in this? What are you doing? Use me, even in the midst of it, use me for your glory. And again, I don't want to minimize or tell any of you to not be genuine or transparent or like show emotions or like you should not think anything's bad. It's like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. I don't want to condemn you for making you feel or if you haven't been dealing with your problems well, like join the club. Don't feel bad about that. But I think what this should serve as today is just a reminder that we shouldn't just be concentrating on the problem, but we should be looking to Christ, not only to be strengthened through it, but to be like, God, how do you want to use this? How do you want to use me in the midst of this for others to come to know you that don't know you already? So the question would be like, so with our trials, everybody's got them, with your hardship, with your junk, with your family drama, right? Whatever it is. How are we dealing with it over time? Are we actively taking it to the Lord? Are we seeking help? Are we asking for prayer? And better yet, and I know this is like really hard because this is like real hard stuff that's going on in our life. But in the midst of that, The question that we need to ask is, are we allowing God to do the internal work that he wants to do in us when tragedy strikes? Not like on the good days, not on the Sundays, but I'm talking about like in the real like life prison, like tragedy, hardship, trials, suffering stuff. God, what do you want to do in me? And do we have, like Paul had, a God-sized view of what's happening? Not having a God-sized view would just be like, this is my problem. This is my problem. This is my problem. This is how it affects me. This is my problem. That's it. God-sized view would be like, yeah, that problem's real. This is the way I feel about it. But God, what are you doing? God, help me. But God, what are you doing through this? And what do you want me to do? You hear me? You with me? I know it's kind of a hard question to ask. You're like, I don't know. I don't know what God's doing. Let's ask him. But what Paul is saying here, and what we've seen, if you've seen anything in church history over the last 2,000 years, there has been no greater tool for the advancement of the gospel than through persecution and martyrdom. It is absolutely the single most thing that has propelled the gospel to the ends of the earth is when the church is persecuted. I don't think people got this. If you persecute the church and you scatter them, then you're just going to have a whole bunch of believers everywhere. You're actually only going to help. So that's what's happened for the last 2,000 years through church history is that the gospel has been spread and advanced not through everything's good and wonderful, but it's been, it's been advanced the most under the harshest conditions. This is true, most of the most uh, profound moves of God, if not all of the most profound moves of God, have been when normal everyday men and women have been obedient to Christ and faithful to allow God to work through you in the midst of tremendous hardship. That that is true. Take that to the bank. You can't deny that. That's history. Okay, so a little bit about about, about me real quick. First way to my heart, cold cup of coffee, like iced coffee. Like you give me iced coffee, I'm good to do anything you want me to do, honestly. Honestly. You ask me to move, all I need is coffee. Long day, all I need is a coffee. You guys know me, I drink a lot of coffee. But if there's a dream, this is a dream. I got an iced cup of coffee and I'm either reading or I'm talking about, with someone else that's into it, a missionary autobiography. Like the saints of old. Like those ordinary men and women that, that you read, a biography of actually what happened. Like over the past couple hundred years. Like those who have gone out, sacrifice much for those that don't know Christ. Couple cup of cold, cold, cold brew that book, I'm good. It's way to my heart. And I could like literally go on for days telling story, stories of missionaries and pioneers and those that like went for it. Like there's people in the world that don't know about Jesus and I do, so I'm gonna go. Like, they need it, and I have it, so I'm going to go. And regardless of the cost, I'm going to go. And every one of these costs dearly, many with their lives. But I think the reason, too, why I resonate so much is that uh, Paul was a missionary, and he was a pioneer, and that's what Paul did. Missionaries and those that go forth, those that pioneer, those that go to unreached people groups, they absolutely have that Pauline spirit of... We gotta go tell them about Jesus, and it doesn't matter. My life's no longer my own, so we gotta go. We'll learn next week that Paul was willing to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is actually a gain. And I struggle because it's better to be with Jesus, but you need me, so I'm gonna stay. I mean, it was that? that, that that's, that's what God had done in his heart. And don't get me wrong. The, mes- the methods, excuse me, and the ways in which missionaries... Have done it. Man, so many have implemented were wrong. And there's a lot to learn, especially here in Hawaii. I know it's sensitive. There's a lot to learn, but the the heart behind it, the way in which the Lord used people through persecution and hardship to see the gospel advance is astounding. There's a lot we can learn. There's a lot of things we can do differently, but the heart behind it to go to others and to pay the price so that others can know Christ is still there. Uh, There's many, but one of the most compelling ones that I love the most is John G. Patton. John G. Patton was a Scottish missionary to uh, modern-day Vanuatu, right off the coast of Australia, and um, right, I mean, in the mid to late 1800s, for whatever reason, heard about these island people. Um, that did not know at all the, the Lord. And so got on a boat from Scotland and went. And uh, the, the, the locals there, natives there were cannibals. And so he knew what he was getting into. And due to the tropical weather and other situations, he immediately, him and his family began to suffer greatly. Um, some of his family members died just a few weeks in. Uh, there's, there's Chronicles journaling that he had over 30 near-death encounters. I mean, pe- people were trying to kill him. Like, people obviously did not want him there. And so there were stories of him, like, climbing up into palm trees all night long as people with machetes are trying to run around trying to kill him, praying, crying out to the Lord. And there was a time, he, he stayed there um, for a long time. There was a time where he came back to raise some support and to tell Uh, of what was happening in Scotland. And everyone, sending church, sending organizations, says it's too great a cost, it's cost you too much already, you have to stay here, you cannot go back. This is what uh, John G. Patton's response to them was. He's in Scotland right now, Glasgow. He says, if I die here in Glasgow, I shall be eaten by worms. If I can but live and die serving the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. For in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as far as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. He was willing to count the cost for the gospel to go so forth. It's a crazy, insane story, but John G. Patton had a God-sized view of his life and the task, and it took decades but he saw incredible fruit due to his perseverance and faithfulness and obedience to Christ. The island that he was on, uh, the entirety of it were saved. And out of the 30 islands, he translated the Bible, 25 of those islands he had the Bible translated into. Getting the word go out, going forth. And um, at the end of his time there, um, it was the, well, it was like the first time That people had ever taken communion. And so he was leading them in communion. And uh, this is a quote from the near, at the end, kind of near the end of his life. He says this At the moment I put the bread and wine into those dark hands once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces, I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus himself. God used incredible hardship to advance the gospel that would have never been advanced unless there was that hardship. And God does that. God uses hardship to reach the captors of our lives. For Paul, it was the prison guard. For you, it's, it's our family, it's our friends, it's our coworkers that only you have access to. Like only you have access to certain people. I don't. No, some people only have Jesus because of you. Seriously. So looking at that, when you're going through the midst of trial, know that it's purposeful and God wants to use you in the midst of what you're going through to advance the gospel. Amen. Also, what we see in Paul's letter here is not only does, do trials, does God use trials for the gospel to go forth, but trials can also encourage other believers. Paul says this in verse 14. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters, speaking of believers, have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. What Paul says is my literal change, change, excuse me. And what God is doing is actually encouraging others to be more bold and more courageous. Right? And and the faith and the confidence in Christ is being increased by how God is using Paul in the midst of his trial. And the truth is, our lives are going to be influential to the people around us. They they just are by nature because you are in proximity with them. It doesn't just mean like you're an influencer. You're all influencers. Yeah, sometimes God uses people a little bit more, a little bit different arenas, but our lives all affect other people. And so are our lives pushing people towards Christ or away? Are they encouraging people or are they discouraging people from serving Jesus? Right, specifically in the midst of a hard time, the way in which we've acted, have other believers seen, heard, whatever, and gone, wow, dude, like, I know that's really hard for you, but I'm so encouraged by the way you sought the Lord in that. Or I know that, like, you don't feel better, but you're still being obedient, or you're still going for it in the midst of it. I know that for me, that is the, one of the most encouraging things when I see, and I've seen other people before me go and do it, follow Christ, even in the midst of really hard things. And what Paul is saying here is that he's saying the example of others gives us strength and it actually combats fear for us. Paul is testifying of this, that others have become more confident. It says that they dare all the more to proclaim Christ, and they aren't fearful because of the suffering of Paul. That's why for me, like missionary autobiographies have been so formative, right? I would not be here right now if it wasn't for them going forth. I wouldn't. I mean, yes, maybe God could do it a different way, but I know in my own life, when Paul says, hey, I know my chains have encouraged others to be more dareful for the gospel. These saints of old, these men and women, the Adoniram Judsons, Elizabeth Elliotts, Tyndales, Amy Carmichaels, David Brainerds, their lives in the midst of hardship, they all suffered great loss, but they had a God-sized view of They had a God-sized view of themselves, their hardship, and the task. And they absolutely have done what the word of God says it would have done. And here's the deal. You all have a unique story and a unique trial or set of trials or a life of trial, it may feel like, that God wants to use. Like trials, it's just not like, let's get through it. That's because that's what we want to do. Like when something hard happens, what's our prayer? God, get this over with. That's our prayer. Just let it stop. Or if, if it's not stopping, we say, God, sustain us. Get us through. But so, seldomly we go, God, what are you doing in this? Whether it stops or not, what do you want to do? I almost never prayed that, honestly. <laughs> no, seriously. That's what Paul's doing. He's not praying that. Paul is not praying like, God, free me. He's saying, I don't care if I'm free or not. God's using this. Let's go. That's what he's saying. And God wants to use all of us in the midst of our unique trial to spur others on. God uses uses hardships to encourage the companions in our life. Seriously. He really does. And what's awesome is how kind of Paul ends this section, verse 15 through 19. He kind of transitioned. He he gets his eyes off of kind of like his chains and how God's using the gospel. And in verse 15 through 19, just kind of to end here, he just talks about the climate of other Christians in Rome at the time. And he's kind of giving just like... um, Us a lay of the land, he's writing to the Philippians, just kind of like how the church is dealing with his imprisonment. And it's pretty mixed. Like some Christians are like supporting him and they're going for it because they want to encourage Paul. And some are like, dude, Paul, he got it wrong. Yep, he was doing it wrong. Now it's my turn and I'm going to go for it. And I hope what I'm doing, you know, I I like Jesus, but I hope that uh, it hurts him a bit. This is what's happening. Um, Paul is explaining the spiritual climate and much like even the church today, some are great and some are not. Some are doing for the right reasons, some are not. It's not us, to judge, it's God's. But it's kind of like what happens in the world today for us. Like we can look all around and maybe have a similar take. But Paul is so sold out about the big picture, the God-sized view, that he literally doesn't care about the details. Do you guys notice in verse um, 18, Paul says, in light of all this, but what does it matter? Like, that's literally what he says. Like, who cares? Like, who cares? Who cares? Paul trusts God to sort out their hearts. Paul is just rejoicing. It's what's happening because Paul's saying, hey, I don't even care what's going on, but Jesus is being preached. Like who cares? God will sort it out. Jesus is being preached. Are you kidding me? Now it's not that Paul, Paul Paul doesn't really care about the how and the what. He, he, He does care that it's truth, but he's just not sweating their motives or their intentions. Like, it's just so awesome, in light of everything, like Jesus is being proclaimed in good or bad. The gospel is going forth. And then at the very end of our text today, he just has the hope to know that there's power in prayer. Like he's not just like not praying at all, he's not believing in prayer, but if we end our text today in verse 19, it says, for I know that through your prayers, the church in Philippi, and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what happened to me, it'll turn out for my deliverance. This is what it means. He trusts that God will carry him, use him, and it will ultimately be okay. That doesn't mean that he's gonna get freed from prison, and that doesn't mean that he's gonna save his life. It actually would end up that he dies not long after this. He gets martyred. But what we'll learn next week is, is that Paul doesn't even think the same way? He thinks of how God thinks. And he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Like, being okay when he says, I will be delivered, it doesn't mean that he's just gonna be released and my trial's gonna end. Paul's not even thinking about the trial, he's thinking about Jesus. He's thinking about himself in light of God's kingdom being built. And man, our prayer needs to be this. I'll end here. I really will end here. This is our prayer. Our prayer for us individually as a church needs to be for the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in the midst of our hardest times. We need to pray that our eyes would be fixed upon Jesus the author of our circumstances rather than our circumstances themselves. We have to pray that. We have to pray that God, in light of how hard this thing is for me, I wanna see you in it and I want, would you reveal your plan and your purpose? I wanna have a bigger view than just my own stuff. And we need to pray these things so that God can use us in the midst of what we meet, what, excuse me, in the midst of what, we may feel like the worst season and the worst circumstance. We need to pray that God would use us in that for our good and his glory. Amen? Amen, let's pray. God, we pray these things. God, we, I am first to admit that I don't have this same view. I want it. We want this. But God, would you help it to be a reality in our lives. God, I know that we're all going through like real stuff, whether it's sickness, financial issues, family drama, loneliness, depression, whatever. We go through it, we're in it, and God, we need your grace. We need you to strengthen us. Even despite our, our trial not ending, the hardships not going away, maybe us even feeling the same way. We pray that in the midst of it, that you would give us a a view of, of your kingdom and your goodness. And God, we really need your power to do that. We cannot muster this up on our own, Holy Spirit. We need you to strengthen us. As our counselor and our teacher, we need you to strengthen us to have a greater view of Christ in our lives. And God, we wanna be a people that um, in the midst of our hardest times can still be used by you. We wanna be um, an instrument in your hands to see others that don't know Jesus come to Jesus. We wanna be the body of Christ that can encourage other believers in the midst of our own trials. So God, would you even change the way we pray to include, God, if you don't want this trial to stop, God, I want you to use me. For as long as it goes on, use me for your glory. So God, do that deep heart work. We wanna worship you now because you're worthy to be praised. Pray this in Jesus' name.